welcome back to part two of the Reset Rebel uh, edition on fasting. And I'm actually sitting here with my um, with my legs up to their knees in the swimming pool. And I thought I would record the intro to this week's podcast like this because when I was on that seven day fasting um, retreat that we heard last week um, with Ilona up in the hills of San Juan. Um, something that we used to do daily in the wintertime was this thing called kniping. Um, well, that's how she pronounces it um, in her wonderful, beautiful German accent. Um, and I, it's basically when you get up um, in the morning and you plunge yourself into icy cold depths of water and then you raise your leg um, to whatever depth you've plunged it in above the waterline and then plunge it back in again and just alternate the legs. Um, And what this does, particularly for one of the ladies on the retreat who was actually an air hostess, is to really get the blood pumping um, around those extremities and to obviously replenish and um, reset the the blood supply and the blood flow. And particularly for this air hostess, um, gorgeous lady from, um, from, from Switzerland, um, it really reduced a lot of swelling in her ankles. And I think that's something a lot of people are suffering from um, in the summer. So I think it's equally valuable to be sharing that at the start of this podcast, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. I don't have really swollen legs or anything, but um, I've just got back from a gorgeous sunrise cycle um, to meet next week's podcast guest um, over in this gorgeous little secret sunrise spot that we, upon meeting a few months back, actually, we just sort of talked about where I go and meditate in the morning and um, found out that that's a, a shared place that we both discovered independently of one another. So I'm back from there. I'm um, probably slightly over-caffeinated. I tend to get highly over-excited in the presence um, of this man who's coming up next week. Um, And one thing we do absolutely um, love to do together is get a little bit high on coffee (laughs) and giggle endlessly. So that's coming up next week. I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm really pleased to be finally unleashing um, part two of Ilona. Um, Probably one of the most knowledgeable Um, wellness experts on this island. She's certainly one of the longest standing members in the wellness community on the island and her knowledge and depth of kind of experience really I suppose here in Ibiza when it comes to ancient practices, um, shamanism which we're going to talk about quite a lot, sort of new trendy kind of um, thing that's kind of come up on this island really in in nightclubs is... um, this kind of making spiritualism cool and um, unveiling it in the night life world is um, an interesting theme. So I'm going to talk to her about that. Um, and we're just going to go back into a little bit more of the science of fasting, which we didn't have time um, to include last week because of the daily diary entries and the actual kind of um, minute-to-minute and moment-to-moment coverage of the actual experience itself on her retreat that she's also offering a a free space on um, at the end of this summer season. And the one thing I'm really noticing um, about last week's episode is um, I, I think I shared the fact that I was stuck to put it out there because I was embarrassed actually to reveal a little piece of me um, within that hour uh, of audio. I felt like I'd overshared and I felt like I'd sort of um, been a little bit too brutally honest really about everything that's going on 
for me or was in February. And then I realised actually through hitting the publish button last week and putting that out there, I actually um, really empowered myself. And I've had so much amazing feedback and emails and support and love and little messages um, from all of you um, since then that I actually feel like this is, you know, doing exactly what I wanted it to do and kind of letting people know that it's okay to not be okay. Um, And I think that's something that we often don't share with anyone Um, and that's why I really wanted to create these little free gifts and nuggets of joy to offer up and out to people feeling similar lonely lost stuck disconnected heartbroken um, depressed or just really unable to afford to do something amazing for themselves Um, and we are not receiving apart from these wonderful messages I got um, from the last podcast we're not receiving anywhere near enough traffic um, for this podcast and and what we're giving away each week so what I'm suggesting is that even if you don't feel that you meet the criteria um, of which there really isn't one that's the first thing that needs to be uh, shared um, to come on one of these free retreats or receive a free treatment or to go for a free dinner at the Passion Cafe or to go on Toby's walk around the island um, in October maybe you know somebody that needs it maybe you don't feel like you qualify which is a tragedy but if you do know somebody Um, that you feel fits this bill then please 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 email us on just the good news please we want to hear from you we want to get more people experiencing and healing in the way um, that we have just such a a mass um, of experience on this island not me personally but just just all of these wonderful people you've been listening to over the last four months five months um, and I've got so much more um, to give we have absolutely stacks of amazing things to give away on this um, platform so please do stay tuned um, and please do keep on sharing the love because that is what this is all about and um, anyway I'm not going to talk any further Um, but um, it'd be really great to hear from you we are still looking for somebody also to join the Reset Rebel Retreat which is August 11th to the 14th um, here in Ibiza in the north of the island um, so get in touch go to our website um, theresetrebel.com or email us on just the good news please and um, yeah we'd just love to love to be able to put back as much as we receive from being here on this island that gives us so much and it's just you know sharing is caring as they say so anyway we're going to go back into this interview now with Alona our um, wonderful therapist um, German lady up in the mountains. Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, coming to you every day. So I'm here at the beautiful House of Colours at the top of the uh, One of the biggest mountains, really, in San Juan with uh, Ilona, who is obviously the sort of hostess with the mostess of this establishment. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So lovely to have you back uh, in my life in general, obviously, (laughs) but to have you here on the podcast um, on the Reset Rebel. All right. Yeah, love it. We, you know, have been... um, acquainted for a little bit of time now I've been living here for five years but I mean it's you know you're kind of one of the um, longer term me- members and residents of the islands if you like when did you actually move here to the island well to move here well it's been more of a, sort of a process when I first arrived here it was 1979 
which was a shock to me thinking that it's 39 years ago. And I lived in Barcelona at the time. I was studying in Barcelona. And after I separated from my then relationship partner, husband in fact, um, I came here with a friend of mine from Barcelona and um, for a week. And I just loved it. Came back to Barcelona, found a letter, note on my door from some friends who had arrived from Germany, passing through uh, to passing through Barcelona to Ibiza. So I just changed my clothes and went to the airport and took a flight back to Barcelona, which was uh, back to Ibiza, sorry, which was nothing. And those days it was super inexpensive. And um, yeah, and then I um, somehow found them. They were near San Carlos. I wasn't really so much my scene there. And I ended up with some other friends in Beniras, which was completely empty in those days. There was not even one restaurant there, not even the little fisherman restaurant that came later. And there on the beach, I met some people who told me about a place called Sort, which was happening in San Miguel. And in fact, yesterday, some good old friends from those days got married, even though they've been together for, I don't know how long, 37, 38 years, but... <laughs> They got married. Better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they were also part of that sort uh, community place, which was a place where a lot of young artists and people with um, uh, new ideas gotten together. And there was jewelry, there was uh, leather work, there was um, yeah bags, and um was many, many things. Um, and then there was food. There was a bakery, and there was a gallery, and there were... But this is how you got into being on the island. So you ended up being a part of this community when you first arrived. Yeah, I ended up being there, helping out here and there sometimes, and met other people, and I started to live then near San Miguel, uh, going towards um, Consulayetia, and then living towards Isla Blanca up there, but before you reach Isla Blanca on the left, and there was an old payas, an old house that I moved into with three other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kept my place there, and I kept had my place in Barcelona because I was still studying, you know, studying psychology in the third year. So I was like back and forth all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to actually leave Barcelona and finish the psychology study in Germany just because I had prestige in those days. That wasn't really the content. It was the title. And to have a German title just meant so much more than having a Spanish title in the same um, subject. And um, so I was, every time I could, I took um, the car or whatever, and I came down here to Ibiza once I'd left Barcelona and I was back in Germany. So I and then, you know, the holidays of the students are like two or three months mm. at the time. So I spent basically like three months up there, three months down here. You know, that's how it worked. And obviously- what was your plan when you originally came to Ibiza? It doesn't sound like you had much of one, but obviously you were doing your degree, you were studying away. And what were you kind of like, you know, what brought you here? It was kind of coming to see your friends and you joined part of the community and then kind of what no, was what- the kind of progression of that journey? No, what brought me here was an intuition that I and something that I saw in Paris 1972 which when I went to a movie was a French dude and we saw this movie called More by Barbara Schroeder 
was Pink, Music of Pink Floyd. Now that, I watched the movie again, I don't know, maybe eight years ago or something. I said, oh my God, how could I come because of this movie? But of course it was a, it's a timepiece. You, you can't take things out of context sometimes. And the story is terrible, really. I mean, the guy is a German guy, I think it's a German guy, who falls in love with some American woman and he follows her all over to Paris or he meets her in Paris, can't remember properly, and then ends up following her to Ibiza. She is involved already with some dodgy business and is obviously hooked on smack. <laughs> and so he gets hooked on smack, and but then they're trying to get away from it. And then, they, but there are these wonderful houses, the Blue Sea, and then these hippies that meet to play drums, and there were some. Indian colored cloth hanging. I mean, now you in the in the movie you barely see the Indian colored cloth because we've gotten so used to those things. But then there was nothing like that anywhere. Maybe on Portobello Road you could find a shop, you know, with a few of those things. While now you see it in every little tourist mm-hmm. store, some kind of well, now it's Mexican. Mm-hmm. Then it was Indian, you know, and still you can find it everywhere. So that for me was really. Something pulled me, uh, just something in the whole energy about the word Ibiza itself, you know, was already something that's kind of called me. And when I did arrive, the first day I arrived with my girlfriend from Barcelona and we took the head, taken the boat. And a really old boat in those days, you know, you could sleep everywhere. People were camping out everywhere, playing guitar, all these kind of things. When we arrived in the morning coming to Ibiza... And I stood at the railing and I looked out onto the old city and it felt like coming home. So that, um, well, has been proven through the last almost now, what mm. what did I say? It's going to be 39 years this summer, yeah? So you kind of came <laughs> here with this kind of vision of this movie and the kind of, you know, the kind of hippie scene, I guess, yeah, like from absolutely. way back when. But like, what, what's been the biggest change then that you've seen through being here for the last 39 years? Well, that, um, you know, first of all, it was super, super cheap, everything, and it was very poor. Now it's super expensive, and it stands in no relationship to what you get offered, I find. Uh, uh, The biggest change is the speed of things, Uh, how everything got so much faster, but I think this is not just uh, something in Ibiza, uh, Are we talking about the Wi-Fi connection? Or? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about just how many things. Yeah, I think Wi-Fi and Internet and all these things have something to do with it, you know, because you're available all the time, all the time, something all the time. And, you know, people came here and I was one of them. Um, I mean, I was offered a job, you know, even after, when I finished, you know, in the high-end, you know, advertising agency stuff like this because I was kind of good at it. But I just couldn't bring myself to think that I would have to bring people, to manipulate people into buying something that I hate. I mean, that's just not my thing. And this is was, at the time, there was a huge movement also away from that kind of thing, away from this kind of regular society, you know, in German they were called Aussteiger, people who leave, although you never leave the system, I mean, that is a bit silly to think you do, but uh, that's my opinion, but still it was all very, you know, there was not much you could do here, let's face it, 
I mean, you had to face yourself in a way. And it was beautiful. It was the sun. It was, you know, we were very young also, you know. You have all these ideals, you know. You don't realize that you're part of this whole thing and maybe you contribute in some part. And, you know, I, my idea was contributing was, was by being peaceful. By being peaceful, by being relaxed, by giving, you know, the opportunity, you know, of... Um, and just, you know, gentleness and, you know, hippies and peace and love, you know, was more my thing. I mean, then later, of course, I realized, you know, that when you, you know, this contentment that you think maybe when you see a shepherd looking after his uh, sheep, you know, and he's happy in there. But when, when, you know, if you're coming from the Western world or were brought up and usually what was the case, a lot of times people who were brought up in high-end situations and also came with um, good educations or, you know, just all felt uh, that they didn't, they didn't like the society as such and therefore they, you know, they moved away from it, wanted to go away from it. It means they're already analyzing the situation. So for people to suddenly switch and turn into shepherd with their sheep, is I don't think I think that's a bit of an illusion, and it's quite a road to get there, and um, to be able to become this content here I go content shepherd, you know. So yeah, I hope that you know in some way, still on the way, <laughs> and that there's many people here who some have managed more or less, others not, you know. Others, I mean, the speed gotten it became. The place we I run away from is here now. Mm. So, but there is everywhere in the world. I mean, now I've been here forty years almost, and it's like, where am I going to go? You know, it's still one of the most magical places I find. You know, what was it that made you fall in love and kind of want to stay here? Because obviously, you're running your kind of retreat house, and you're kind of doing your fasting workshops, and you're obviously doing the work that you love. But what what else is it that kind of kept you here all these years? Well, what had kept me here is the beauty of this island. I find it extremely beautiful, you know. It has this gentleness, you know. that has also an incredible variety of people. All, and the people, the Ibisenkos who I initially encountered, and they're still here, they're just actually when you get to really lovely people. And the, the older generation who's now uh, disappearing also were wonderful people. They were like a bit like... Um, very welcoming, and there's also this I, this part of this um, energy here, like it's a pirate island. Mm -hmm. So pirates are really kind of tolerant as long as you don't touch their loot. <laughs> it's a bit like this here too, you know, when they get, ooh, they don't like this. But I like, you know, the almond trees, the olive trees, the, well, it was also very, weather has changed in the last 20 years, for sure. I mean, I remember, you know, it never would get colder than like maybe 10 degrees. Eight was already really cold in the winter. This is completely, really changed. And um, that was one of the aspects that was great, you know. You're not so far away from anywhere. Also, those days, it wasn't so normal that people would fly everywhere to go everywhere. I mean, you know, tourist season, just, you know, this mega tourism, you know, okay, Mallorca 
was already in Germany. We called it the house, the the the, the cleaning lady island because people would go there so much and this and that. But Mallorca, I mean, it's so close by here and everything. But the energy is very very different. Mm. So that's really I wouldn't really be able to put my finger on it. Right, other than that, I felt I also found a lot of like-minded people here, mm. a lot of eccentrics. And uh, it was the island full of eccentrics. Also, that has uh, gone away a bit, you know. It's been, now it's an island of a lot of very rich people who think they're eccentrics. Um, but, and some of them are, I have to say. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not saying that that is bad. It just brings in another energy, as simple as that. And the prices and all of this, what has happened with that is really ugly. And also I find it's becoming like a little bit, but like the Saint-Tropez of the Mediterranean, you know, the Spanish Saint-Tropez, basically. Mm-hmm. A bit like that. So you kind of came here and got into this community and obviously, you know, you had this kind of vague plan of action in your mind, potentially, for work. But what, you know... You... <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I don't think many people came here to work, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying with having a background where you have some money coming in and where you can allow yourself in an island in those days when it was so cheap, you know, that you didn't have to do much. You know, you didn't have mm-hmm. to... I mean, you, that was also the difference. Here's a community who wants to, you know, be uh, richer, be more... Uh, have more resources and all of this versus the community that arrives or people who arrive who don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was... Um, worked in some funny way. It worked well for quite a while, I mean... But now most people come here have got loads of money and they're probably rich playboys that don't need to work either. So it's still attracting the same crowd of people. The prices have just changed, but the situation's kind of the same in some ways, which is kind of hilarious. Well, I don't see it as maybe some parts of Ibiza, but I see a lot of also very rich people arriving here, super nice people, people that chose not to go to other places but come here you know they could go to Mallorca could go to some Barth or like mm-hmm. other places where but they come here and there is a sure there is also difference between that you know I mean I don't like it to categorize it too much um, but yes it has changed a bit and you know the rich playboys for sure you know but I think <laughs> they are, I don't know where they are and I don't care either but that's funny that you say that I think there's um a uh, lot of people also having having arrived to like to do uh, good, you know, for the environment, not just the Ibiza one, but they station themselves here, but um, in general, and they have this... Uh, so that's the idea, I find, you know, if Ibiza could become more of a focal point with a lot of people living here who, no matter how much money they have, but their energies are focused on either local environmental issues or health issues of people or other concerns or worldwide, you know, but you're sitting here and you're having this meetings here, you know, (laughs) and not in London or somewhere else. Well, exactly. Thank God for that. But, you, you know, your work is kind of of that nature, isn't it? And you're running um, a beautiful house here, which we're obviously sitting in right now, which we're in the kind of cocoon room, the mm. wonderful... In fact, the very first time I ever met you was when I came up here for a, a women's circle, and I believe mm. it was possibly on the full moon. I can't remember exactly, but I'm fairly sure it was a, a women's sharing circle, which I'd never experienced before. This was like five years ago. That was not my scene, but I'd heard about it, and I'd heard about you, and I wanted to come up here and just see what happened, really. And it was... 
amazing you know we were dancing around this room we were sharing some really wonderful beautiful stories that you know very intimate things that people kind of yeah came out with that I never believed was really going to come out of anyone's mouth so I was like wow this this is brilliant and actually we had some people on a fasting retreat who were in that room at the time and that's kind of what inspired me to want to find out more about you and Mm. I have been coming here up to five rhythms workshops you've got a beautiful dome that you know these incredible workshops that Chris Connors who we're hopefully going to speak to at some point on this podcast Mm -hmm. runs and they are one of the most magical evenings that you host but you do lots of other work besides do you want to kind of maybe share a little bit Mm. more about what you do yeah well I'm also working besides the fasting guide that I work I work on also started working again therapeutically so I've had a few clients last year, you know, in a therapeutic setting, which I work with my method, which is based on Hakomi, which is a, um, a, a method that I practiced and I actually did a whole training in, in the United States. In the early, late 80s, and uh, because that's also, I moved away from here for a while and I was in New York. For three years, we only came here for six weeks. And then I was in Seattle when I had my my first son. But then I was here half a year here, half a year in Seattle. And at one point, I decided to move back here. So there, at that time, I did the hypnotherapy training as well in Seattle. I did the Hakomi training, which is the therapy where you go with the defense, not against the defenses of the person. And I'd already had done structural family therapy and uh, also family um, consolations and stuff. So I worked that together, you know, I've done a lot of like, I mean, I don't even want to say that word almost, just like shamanic drumming, you know. Basically, it's a meditative visualization work, how I would describe it, um, which is um, very powerful stuff. And yeah, I've worked with that lately, and I do also light language. That's been my um, uh, passion now for the last four or five years. That I work with this a lot, and you know, just had the last weekend, I had the first beginners class mm-hmm. uh, with seven people, which was a lovely class to give. I really enjoyed it. It conf- reconfirmed how much I like it. Actually, by teaching it, you realize that even time just flew by, and uh, from what I heard as a ba- how you say it, feedback. It was, everybody liked it very much. So I really enjoy that light language. I um, do also, when we do get together, do women's circles. You know, we try, I do medicine walks in the sense of that I take uh, people for walks uh, that are, when nature is the medicine and where we do visualizations as we go along. And um, yeah, I host all sorts of other events in this direction you know something that kind of like um elevates us out of our daily routine you know back to other spheres that we nice to connect those those to our daily routine Mm -hmm. and then i think we can operate in our daily routine in a more vertical way rather than horizontal horizontal i would call it if you imagine you have like two arrows shooting at each other like comparison um good bad always competition you know all these kind of things why vertical is like the arrows running up and down your own um energy fields you know your your chakras and um 
That's like when you imagine you're the center of this energy like that goes through you in a big circle all around and you like the from the apple there in you're the inside of the apple and the apple is around you so and then you when you come with <laughs> it's a bit hard to describe but i'm trying my best when the um, then you come towards the person another person and if that person is also in that field it's like a very compassionate very um different energy gets generated and if you've made a person who is more in the horizontal way still that person you can perceive that person differently you don't go and if you if if you're running that energy solid enough and you're used to run it like that you won't get brought back immediately to that horizontal state so mm-hmm. i think all these things were doing here and i think a lot of people on this island you know are to you know to generate a bit more compassion more understanding more harmony between us human beings. I think one of the trends that we're kind of seeing in Ibiza right now is this kind of um, how kind of maybe like shamanism has become like a cool thing and there's like, you know, nightclubs are kind Ah. of tapping into it and creating these like spiritual festivals and and having like shamanic ceremonies and all this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, as someone that's been doing that for a lot, lot longer than, you know, for example... Uh, we we won't name any names about mm-hmm. different uh, night uh, venues on on the island that are actually doing this kind of thing. But I mean, what do you think about that from someone that's actually a practitioner? Well, you know, first of all, um, what's very interesting to hear. I've just recently talked to somebody who's traveling around the world, who's a shaman, who's from South Africa, South Africa, from South America, and who is actually really trained personnel uh, trained. I mean, like it's part of like it's a long training. And I think a lot of the people who are coming uh, now out of the forest or go to the forest and come out there with a few feathers after or go once a year to do a training, it's just completely not uh, and come back and think of themselves as shaman or something. I think they're just caught up in their egos. And um, sorry, I just can't take it. take it. Some might be really good. One would have to try, but I'd be always very careful. What this guy so told me, what he is observed, uh, which is actually what you just said too, it's like a little bit what's happening now in the States. He was could only refer to the States, that people take it as like, okay, I go out, I party, I take all the drugs I want to, and on the weekend I go and drink some whatever medicine, so I just clean all my evil back out. It sounds like, uh, how you call that in church, in the Catholic Church, um, Hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy, but how you go when you go to and you get 10 Ave Marias and all of this kind of stuff. What's it called? Confession. 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 It sounds like confession. It's like a confession with another color and now it's okay. It's like this. No, that's rubbish. And that won't work either after a while, you know? That also became very VIP. Another thing I believe that is not to give all of these things, they are beautiful, those things, but when do people really go to shaman? in the forest when they have a problem when there is a big problem otherwise you know or they do it to celebrate to honor nature to celebrate where they're living they have it for certain type of um rituals that belong to their ritual since i mean thousands of years so um and the medicine is a shaman and there's a medicine man and they take care of when the people when the people are sick Okay, you can say our society is really sick. Okay, fine, but we still have to live in it. We're still working in it. And just to have these wonderful, great ideas in 
quote unquote some of these sessions but if you can't really put that into your daily life you then the, then all these medicines become a, a tool that's not used correctly you know, I mean, you can have a hammer. With that hammer, you can knock somebody over your head. You can knock your the hammer on your finger, or you can actually really use it for the appropriate put, putting nails into different places where you need where you need them. Um, like it is with every tool, you can use a tool this way or the other way. And I believe, you know, um, that you really need to go wanting to look what is happening you really need to want to after a while when you know how to work with the medicines like we all know we people have been out there taking god knows what different kind of drugs you know maybe at the beginning they're like wow but after a while everybody knows how to operate you know it's the same thing it's a, so if you know how to write you can manipulate them and you know it's not the they let themselves be manipulated, you know, even though there is a spirit to those medicines, as the shamans say, you know, but then you can end up even in the worst scenario if you manipulate too much of that, you know. So my uh, suggestion is to to try those out if you feel it might be something for you, but not to be get to mis to get totally misguided. I think it's very difficult though with the way you know the whole ayahuasca tourism industry feels like it's going because there does seem to be, you know, you have the ayahuasca conference here and there does, you know, there are people that come here with absolutely no idea, like how to find someone who's reputable or someone who's doing, you know, these kind of ceremonies or um, distributing these medicines in a way that's responsible and that but, actually knows what they're doing. It's frightening. But for, for that, for example, the ayahuasca conference, if you wanted so if people didn't know before, but now maybe they have a place where they can write to. So if they travel to those places in South America, they can find people who are, you know, um, respectable and this and that. And I think because there's so much, so many people are traveling there all over that more, that more and more big, it crystallizes more and more who is actually really good and where people go to. You know, it's going to become more clear who's really good after this VIP and who's in fashion because that's another thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like suddenly people buy all the same bag, you know, the same jeans. You know, if I go to the same shaman, same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a fashionable thing sometimes as well. But I think at one point it will become really clear who are the really good ones and who are the ones that are just like by standards i mean this is look same thing happened with therapies mm. you know people were studying therapy really good ther therapists and this and that and then you have a lot of people who study a little bit here a little bit there but they get some kind of phony degree that then they go and invent their own little story and uh, they don't know how to even deal with the people when they really freak out and how to bring them back into their life how to integrate all these stories it's a lot of this in the therapeutic realm as well, you know. So um, this is just another healing t uh, technique. But I do really, and I really honor me personally, I really honor the medicines. I think they're an incredible tool. And being a therapist, I can tell you that some of the issues that you might sit six years on a couch, I mean, not psychotherapy, leave that, but six years in normal therapy, um, psychoanalysis that's what I mean but six years in a therapy you can actually really take care of in two or three nights mm. so now wow mm. I mean that's an incredible gift 
So all I'm saying or was saying there is like you need to use, need to know how to use this gift, mm -hmm. you know, and um, be ready for it. But that's okay. Everybody, there's no, um, nobody has to, must, or it's a personal choice, you know. And I think it would be lovely if a lot of those things could be integrated regularly into our system, you know, so people have actually the choice to find out to get well to the 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 possibility and not are thrown back into some kind of um way in, into some kind of thing where they have to go out and buy psychopharmaca you know and now they've even stuffed the kids full of of pills you know because they have one syndrome after another from ADHD, HD, HD, and and what is it? My God, I'm I'm getting hyped now because I really feel that the medicines have a quality, and if they're used the right way, and if they could, for God's sake, be finally okay. We've got a little workman on the scene. That's okay. <laughs> if they would be accepted, you know, then we could really go on. Uh, Working with it in such a much in, and learn that the east from the west, let's say, you know, the, the the Western society from the shaman and from the east from the from the Indian and the spiritualism of you know whether it's Hindu or Tibetan, you know, just fuse all those things together to create something that can actually really help all of us, you know. I think the, the tricky part with all of that is that obviously pharmaceuticals are very easy to research, you know, in terms of the kind of benefits or qualities that we're told that they have, for example. But you're saying um, that obviously, you know, there's a, there's a potential for plant medicine, for example, to be able to, you know, heal quite traumatic and major blockages and emotional issues within two or three days that someone might spend a lot of years and a lot of money um, in, you know, in the care um, of, you know, sitting on the couch, basically talking to someone. So, you know, that's an amazing thing. But I mean, it's kind of impossible to, to regulate some of this stuff because obviously it's kind of illegal, which is the kind of madness of it all. Because how are you supposed to know who to go to see or who's, who's reputable or who knows what they're doing or, you know, yeah. and that's the sadness of it all. It's like, it's a bit like, you know, cannabis oil or well, any no, of these but things. Cannabis oil now, for example, is getting a huge, it's like an incredible what's happening because it's really helping so much people with cancer. It's helping people with so much more. They're really going back to what was in the 20s in the States when this guy, um, one of the senators, they married the Dupont in, uh, heiress. And that's how they actually badmouthed then the, because the, they, she was from a cosmetic concern or pharmaceutical co company, something like this. And hemp has all these qualities, had them already then. Mm -hmm. And they know you can make paper you can make clothes you can make, it it fertilizes it's even good for the soil mm -hmm. so it's actually ludicrous that that's mm -hmm. not even used just because they made it so bad because of the oh if you smoke then you become a heroin addict i mean that was the time of the 60s you know even but, but it's not like this you know and i find also now they have research also for they do research for um, mushrooms already they're making have doing other research with um, long-term research they've done with ayahuasca where they've been proven over the long run that serotonin levels that decrease with age 
are getting built up. So this could be something if you look at depression. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have a de total depletion of serotonin levels. Mm -hmm. That could be something. It doesn't have to mean that they have to go through now ceremonies and this. Maybe they can do it with drops and with all of this. I mean, there's so much out there that is not being even uh, studied because of all this bad, oh, it's so bad. But I think it is really has to do with the pharmaceutical industry, really, if you ask me, you know, and a lot of, you know, still backward thinking of a lot of people who are stuck in the some absurd stories from the past. You know. but, but one of the biggest benefits that you're seeing from these plant medicines, I mean, obviously, depression is something that can be treated with that or, you know, what are the kind of most inspiring stories i guess that you've kind of witnessed here on the island well i've witnessed um what are the biggest benefit first of all i want to also say that two or three nights you know you can have maybe major incense you can get rid of stuff you need to integrate it so it's never just two or three nights but still you know even when you go to therapist you need to integrate uh, in your therapy so i would always suggest that there's people work in teams you know to help people mm. rather than and also, like, people come and do ceremonies and or go there and come back from South America. And then they kind of, like, suddenly, you know, they have this all these new ideas and new feelings. and But we need to integrate it. That sometimes it's, help is necessary. Not all the time, but help is necessary. But what I find also really, really important is that that the awareness, uh, the conscientious, become more conscious about what we're doing. And our, um, to put more emphasis on the nature again that we're living in, that we can't just pretend that we it's just going to go continuously go on like this. And then what? You know, then we have no, if we continuously go on like this, I don't know how far long we all will have water. It's already, you know, just to be become more conscious about how we can all share, mm. you know, without... Um, yeah, depleting, you know, ourselves from and do not walk around with such arrogance, you know, and uh, kind of like become more compassionate to uh, become more, yeah, in harmony with yourself. I mean, it always starts with yourself, whatever you want to do. It has to start with yourself, you know, and once you start with yourself, then you can do it with your family, with your friends. And, you know, with this planet, on this planet and beyond, whatever your belief system uh, is with that. You know, I think that also communication can get better. And uh, like with everything else, you know, um, that's why I think fusion is so important that we put all these things together. It's like then you realize, oh, that not that you walk suddenly run around with a spiritual ego because that can be also terrible. Oh my God, you know. And um, that those things are that seemed yesterday still like completely outrageous, you know, are actually very normal. Who knows? Maybe in a hundred years we don't need a telephone. I can call you th telepathically. <laughs> it could be. Well, that could have happened a couple of thousand years ago. They probably, probably were doing that at the maybe, time. Maybe they were already. Yeah, mm. just lost that. Well, it sounds like way less complicated than the boring. <laughs> yeah story of these iPhones and social media and all the crap that we have to contend with um and you know I feel like this is a house where you know people obviously come for a lot of healing and they have done for you know how long have you been here in this house now 
2002, end of 2002, so let's say from 2003, so that's what, 15 years now, yeah. Yeah, and you're going to be donating a space on one of your fasting retreats in October. Yes, definitely, yeah. And what's involved in that? Because I've just obviously completed uh, the most incredible and powerful week with you, which was just, yeah, life-changing, exactly like it was the last time I did it. And, you know, the benefits were unbelievable uh, and so energizing and just kind of um yeah just like focusing I suppose and the clarity that came from doing that before the season began and kind of getting clear on what I want to do this summer which is kind of one of the main reasons I did it um but I feel like you know this is like a massive kind of thing that you've been looking into and studying and researching and living you know as a, as a way of life you don't just fast once or twice a year you do it several times and it's obviously working wonders because you look amazing um but um yeah I mean why you know why is it that you continue with this work because I think it's um very healthy I love um I love it I just think it's such a nice way to to work with that what I called fusion because um through not eating your a uh, explore new areas in your life and possibilities that you didn't think were possible. Uh, you know, a guided fast. You learn a, more about yourself. You learn more about your body, but also you detox your mind, your emotions, and um, well, and then you can access other places that you know. Sometimes people, you know, a lot of these people go and drink medicines or take all sorts of other things which you can actually totally do when you arrive in these states when you're fasting mm. and it's just a question of having the right guides you know the right guidance and the right um, visualization sometimes mm. the right moments also everybody's different so for me I like to yeah I'd like to inspire people uh, with that because it's been so helpful for me you know, an inspiration or so, so far, that's what I'd like to share. I think people just think that, you know, whenever I tell them that I'm going on a seven-day fast, they look at me like I'm absolutely out of my mind. And they all say, oh, my God, there's no way I could do that. And that's probably what I thought when I first started this journey, like maybe seven, six, six years ago in India when I did my first three-day fast. And actually, once you get in the groove of no eating, you're just not even hungry anymore. And no one gets their head around that and the fact that you just feel so good. Like, yeah. you know, denying yourself something fuels other parts of your entire being that like you just said uh, just feel or just are inaccessible because they're so clogged up with everything else that's going on in the digestive system so once that's gone like it is just elevational it certainly is and you know here we also do some things very special at the beginning which makes it easier for you to fast because once you completely empty your system then your body i mean two things you need to want to make a fast or you know take on that challenge that's how it felt for me the first time and then um then you do the special cleansing and with that special cleansing you're already not hungry you know this and then there are many the other things yeah the salts yeah we had a good conversation about those salts yeah, actually which you're going to hear on this yeah. podcast so <laughs> and yeah and you know then uh, it's people think oh my god you know this how long and then before you know it it's over and you go oh my god where did the time go mm. and you feel fantastic which is really great which is why you want to invite somebody to come and do that with you in october that's right 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, just what, what makes you want to kind of offer that space up for, for somebody to join us on that retreat? Well, I think also it's always a good thing to have whenever you do something to have one space that's um, an, a space where somebody can come, you know, to maybe somebody who could normally not afford something like that. Because mm. I guess that's the other thing that's changed on the island is that, you know, the retreat business has exploded. And I was actually chatting to Lara on the last podcast and she was saying that when she first arrived here, um, I can't remember how many years ago exactly it was that she got here, but, you know, almost, I think, almost a decade ago she got here, but she was like, you know, obviously she wasn't the first one on the scene to start these retreats. You, you know, you were on, you were doing your thing by then already. And I yeah. guess now you're seeing this kind of, oversaturation essentially of the retreat market on the island and I'm just wondering how you feel about that well you know what um if we really look at it if we're so if we have such a fast speedy society out there and you know as long as everybody who works on this island or comes to work on the island comes with the integrity that's required and not just to stuff their self their money their, their pockets full of money um you know if that's really there then um it's great because the more the merrier you know i mean if we're every time more people and that means also every time more sick people well we need every time more healers as well um for me it's just already it's always about the personal integrity of each person who does something like this mm-hmm. what's the intention you know i mean i have to say i've seen some people arriving here who basically run around with huge dollar signs in front of their faces because they see an opportunity wow i can rent a house here i can do this i can make billions or millions or i don't know what they're thinking but my experience has been uh that maybe it works and it's not my problem it's it's not my story you know i mean i've observed it i used to i have to admit that i used to get quite upset about it at the beginning thinking what's going on but you know i thought to myself you know at the end of the day is who am i not the police of nobody here you know i just want to do my thing make sure that i'm still in within that integrity that i require from others and continue and you know I just am a positive thinking person and I hope that most of the people who do these things here mm-hmm. do it out of you know their out of their integrity with integrity with the wish to help and that that it really takes its root mm-hmm. everywhere and I think one of the reasons why it's such a, a good um, detox kind of, uh, you know, scene in, in that way is because there's obviously quite a lot of retox going on mm. on this island. And that's kind of one of the things about this podcast is that we're kind of inviting people who have, you know, come from that background and, and possibly still have a foot in both camps. And I mean, you're no stranger. You told me some amazing stories about, you know, bumping into Freddie Mercury at Pike's Hotel back in the day, back in the 70s. And, you know, you've had, you know, you've experienced and witnessed a lot of you know fun I suppose over the last almost 40 years of being here yeah for sure I mean this island has never been an island of peace and quiet has it it's not known for that Um, unfortunately it got known for a lot of other shit which is happening Um, let's not talk about San Antonio area right now because that's still a mystery to me but it stays there um, in a way it's like almost like a 
people don't move from there too much. But the other than that, you know, it's been, uh, and still is, a big party island. Yeah, and you know, in those days, you could meet all sorts of people here on the beach. But it was also, this who's who in the zoo, didn't, nobody cared. You know, I mean, I think uh, this all changed when the fashion industry kind of arrived here on the island and then arrived the paparazzi and then arrived the people who liked the paparazzi, who liked to have pictures taken. That's also gone down. I don't feel, I feel that has actually dissipated again. And I see more and more also quite rich people arrive here, known, uh, well-known people who are not um, ending up in the magazines because they come here, you know. But it used to be really like this. You could have go to the beach and run into, you know, um, all sorts of rock rock stars and uh, movie people, and nobody cared really. That and they knew that, so they could be who they were, you know, without having twenty uh, or. Who's the most famous person you've ever run into? Yet? Most famous. Let's have a look. Robert Plant's got a house here, hasn't he? Because yeah, I've been absolutely. up there once in Calazam Vicente. Yeah, Robert Plant. Then who else was here? Stones. Who else did I run into? Queen. Well, yeah, that's uh, Freddie Mercury. That's quite a big one. Ago. Yeah, there are quite a lot of them. I've really run into a lot of them. But it's not really something I need to share, share that much. <laughs> So you still obviously have this mad passion for the island, which is, yeah, it's amazing. And you've obviously got your boys here and, yeah, you're here to stay, which is a, a wonderful thing. And it's nice to have someone on the podcast who's been here and seen so much unfold over the years. And, um, yeah, it's been really, really lovely to catch up with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Reset Rebel. Uh, thank you for, well, have, coming to do this interview came as a surprise to me and it was lovely to have you in this fast and to enjoy it together one more time and I hope in the future I don't think that will be the last you've seen of me unfortunately <laughs> Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel Reset Red.